Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's time for the biggest week of the sports calendar. The start of hockey, basketball opening night, football, both college and pro in full swing, and the San Diego Padres are playing in the league championship series for some playoff baseball. You can use our promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get a 100% welcome bonus when you sign up with the link in the description to this episode. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy Podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always a podcast. Welcome everybody. It is October 20th according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be listening. If you're new to the channel, make sure to follow us on Apple or Spotify, or if you're one of the handful of people who uses another platform, subscribe and follow on whatever platform that is. But Apple Podcasts, follow, download a bunch of episodes. If you're a San Diego fan who's found this podcast within the last couple weeks, make sure to follow and check out all our other content, including some of the journalism we do and sports radio that we do and X's and O's, Buffalo Bills versus Kansas City breakdowns and all the podcasts that we've been doing. We did a five-part documentary series on the San Antonio Spurs over the summer. You can check that out. All the links are in the description of this episode enough shamelessly plugging on my part I just know we have a lot of new people who are coming here for the baseball content and the baseball content is what I plan to deliver to you here on a Thursday why because my San Diego Padres born and raised San Diegan who did not watch them make the playoffs for my entire memorable childhood from age 5 to age 19. Not a single playoff appearance. This year is their first ever playoff run in my memorable lifetime. Their first home playoff victories since before I was born as a 21st century baseball fan. And sometimes I like to bring that perspective a lot to the show. We're going to do that later when we talk about Astros Yankees. But 21st century baseball fan who happens to root for the San Diego Padres, and uh, I'm just obsessed with baseball now because San Diego is making an NLCS run for the first time since before I was born. They beat the Dodgers, and on Sunday you heard me wax poetically about what San Diego means to me and hometown connections and regional pride and all the rah-rah stuff with sports that made Saturday night feel like I won a championship and saying still even five days later, that's what feeling a cha- feel, winning a championship feels like, and I believe that we should, as fans, be into sports for the emotional connections that we make. You can hear me talk about all that stuff. We're going to talk about Padres and Phillies. We're going to talk about Astros and Yankees.
Episode 4. The Holy Dodger Empire continues their reign over the West. In previous years, the Holy Dodger Empire dismantled the once great Royal Cardinals, establishing a new power within the galaxy. The Holy Dodger Empire defeated the Royal Cardinals, invaded the Mill of Waukee, and vanquished the 107-win Giants. In the meantime, the Holy Dodger Empire pillaged both the Purple Rockies and the Backs of Diamond in Arizona. These invasions increased the Empire's wealth tenfold. Their resources are unmatched, their power is unquestioned. With the West and the Central firmly in control, the Holy Dodger Empire sets their sights on a new conquest, the Eastern Empire State. If the Holy Dodger Empire defeats Master Cohen and his Met army of queens, there will be nothing left to stop them from conquering the galaxy. To the south, a small resistance forms in San Diego. While outnumbered and outresourced, the resistance fights for their very existence against the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. It's a changing time in the galaxy. The once great Imperial Nationals of Washington have fallen. Years earlier, the Imperial Nationals once defeated the Holy Dodger Empire at the Battle of Strasbourg. Now, they find themselves bankrupt and selling pieces to the highest bidder. In this collapse, the Holy Dodger Empire captured a great captain known as Mad Max, who helped strengthen the Holy Dodger Empire's hold on the galaxy. However, Mad Max has escaped and defected to Master Cohen and the Met Army of Queens. He will spend whatever years he has left fighting to dismantle the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. And now, the legendary Imperial Captain Juan Soto has joined the Resistance after paying his debt to Kara the Hutt. To San Diego, Captain Juan Soto brings with him the Imperial Nationals' mighty Josh Bell. Joining Captain Soto is Lord Hader, the supreme closer of the Mill of Waukee, called to fight by the message of the Resistance and the possibility of bringing balance to the Force. The Resistance has paid a heavy price, yet they have never been closer to defeating the Holy Dodger Empire. Yes, the Star Wars baseball playoffs are beyond my wildest dreams and beyond the story of Star Wars that is obsessive to a whole bunch of people that I actually find quite interesting now that I've watched all the Star Wars movies. So I guess, I guess we're on the Empire Strikes Back part of the story at this point because we've already defeated the Holy Dodger Empire and at this point we're kind of... I guess the Holy Dodger Empire rises again a little bit, but... Uh, at this point, the resistance carries on uh, to Philadelphia, who, when I made that Star Wars theme, I didn't even consider Philadelphia would even be in the game trying to take some sort of control over the galaxy. I guess this is the the part after the Return of the Jedi, I guess. I guess this is Return of the Jedi, so I guess we're in like the, the Mandalorian time frame at this point. I guess like that's where we're at at this point is we're like five years removed from the empire falling. Anyways, I'm getting too bogged down on Star Wars weeds. Uh, let's talk about San Diego and Philadelphia because we're two games into the series and I'm not going to do macro level analysis because what can I say about baseball's playoffs? Baseball's playoffs are random. 
you should watch these games because they're totally random and you have no idea what's going to happen game to game. I said at the start of the series, I don't make predictions for playoff baseball. If I had been pinned down on making predictions, I might be like two for six at this point picking series. The only team that I've had confidence in through and through is the Astros. And we'll talk about that coming up in a little bit. But what I want to talk about with Padres and Phillies is watching that game two with San Diego on Wednesday was just an absolute thrill rush because of the comeback during that game. Because going into the series, Aaron Nola had allowed zero runs in two postseason starts. Uh, Zach Wheeler had allowed only one inning of runs allowed in now three postseason starts. So basically those two starters for Philadelphia, totally unhittable, completely unhittable. And when the Padres go down 4-0, I look at that and I'm like, okay, probability says we're going to be down 2-0 with two games at home, which means probability says we're going to lose in Philadelphia. But then I remind myself, hey, in the 2019 World Series, the road team won all seven games of the series. It was Washington 1-2 in Houston, Houston 1-3 in Washington, Washington won the last two in Houston, won the World Series. The most random champion I've ever seen in a sport that has a ton of random champions and eight different teams have won the World Series in the last eight years. Baseball is completely random. The best teams are not indicative of what happens in the playoffs because the sample sizes are so small. And so when the Padres go down 4-0, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, probability says they're going to lose this game. And then they go on a seven-run tear for those who weren't watching the game. So after they give up four runs uh, to the Phillies in the second inning, I basically watch as Brandon Drury, deadline acquisition, player responsible for the coolest sports moment I've experienced in the last 10 months, which was the day after the Soto trade happened. He hits a grand slam in the first inning of the first game after the Padres make all their deadline acquisitions. And I'm there with my grandparents in San Diego. And it was a cool emotional moment because everyone, um, Mark Grant, who's been calling Padres games for my entire lifetime since before I was born, It was basically like in the first inning of a regular season game, I've never seen Petco Park, which is where the the San Diego, that's the San Diego baseball stadium. So I've never seen it like this before. And then Drury hits a grand slam and it was a cool moment. And again, all the rah-rah emotional connection stuff that you've been hearing me wax poetically about for the last two weeks on the, I think now four or five podcasts I've done about San Diego baseball and hometown connections. If you're new to the show, San Diego people, check out, there's like five podcasts that I've done about San Diego and uh, that baseball team and my personal connection growing up there and now no longer living in San Diego and not having the desire to connect with San Diego apart from that baseball team. Having that happen where Brandon Drury hits a home run uh, back in August, fast forward now, they're down 4-0, he hits a home run, Next batter, Josh Bell, who they also traded for at the deadline, hits a home run. And I'm joking in that moment, hey, they just needed to unplug the controller and plug it back in. They went down 4 nothing in the second inning, came back, hit two solo home runs back-to-back. Now it's only 4-2. to two. That's at least a reasonable difference to come back on. Then you get to the fifth inning, and then you have this sequence for San Diego where they go... Hassan Kim reaches first. Trent Grisham gets out. So you have runner on first, one out. Nothing that looks like a rally. You've already got one out in the inning. There's only a guy on first. Hassan Kim steals second base on a hit and run. 
Austin Nola, who's facing his brother Aaron Nola, and the Fox broadcast milked the shit out of that story of the first time ever that two brothers, one pitcher, one batter, were facing each other in the playoffs. They really milked that story hard during the game. But basically, Austin Nola hits a single on a hit and run, and it's one of the rarest things to happen in baseball. It's really, really rare that this happens, where you have a runner on first base, and that's the only person on. The runner from first scores, but the batter only hits a single. So basically, single scores a runner from first is one of the rarest things that happens in baseball. And it happened with Hassan Kim just because the ball was hit perfectly in the gap. He was stealing on the play, so he had a running head start to second. Uh, then you had Nola, who's not the fastest guy in the world because he's a catcher, didn't end up turning and going to second. There's a play at the plate, but wasn't enough to where Nola could take second base. It's just a rare set of circumstances for one of the rarest occurrences in baseball. A single that scores a run, it's 4-3. to three. Then you have... Profar hit a single, Juan Soto hit a double to now tie the game, it's 4-4, four to four. Manny Machado of all people strikes out, which is funny because one of the things I hear all the time when like casual sports fans talk about fixing baseball and they're like, well, you're not guaranteed to have the best players face each other, rah, 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 like Manny Machado faced Jacob deGrom twice with runners in scoring position during that Padres and Mets wildcard series. He got out both times. Like, it's not like it's a star power situation. But then on the flip side, Trent Grisham, the worst hitter on the Padres, hit home runs off Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom within 24 hours. That's what baseball is. That's the charm of baseball. If you invest in the storylines, the stakes of the playoffs will get you invested no matter who it is because you're getting excited about Trent Grisham being the series MVP for the Padres. And so Manny Machado ends up being the one who strikes out with third and second. Brandon Drury comes up and he hits a single on a 3-2 count to take the two-run lead 6-4 to four against Philadelphia I'm sorry to to take the two-run lead 6-4 and it was the coolest moment uh I guess it's like the third coolest moment of the playoffs but it was just like oh my gosh how did they come back in this game baseball is chaotic and crazy and Aaron Nola who is supposed to be the guy who gave up zero runs in two and a half starts all of a sudden he's getting torched for five runs in an inning and I think they switched to a reliever in the middle of the inning but the point still stands they got five earned runs off of Aaron Nola what is happening baseball is chaos and San Diego ends up coming back and winning the game and I'm super duper excited about that because it gives me a reason to keep investing and I know I said at the start of the series like playing with house money at this point I still believe you're playing with house money but people who root for sports fandoms I'm grappling with this in a way that's incredibly easy for someone like our friend Ryan Cohen who came on and is like that was the greatest moment of my life when the Padres beat the Dodgers and Jake Cronenworth hit that single and he just had a like a hangover without drinking alcohol because of how hard they were celebrating in the streets and the adrenaline rush of that moment uh, he he was um, waving the towels at the stadium like a crazy person for four days and like it's easy for other people and it's not as easy for me because of the balance I strive to achieve in my life and I talked about this on on Saturday like 
this is kind of like closing a chapter of my life. This playoff run represents underdog mentality, San Diego sports curse, no expectations and going in and having 22 games worse record than Los Angeles and eliminating the arch rivals that I dreamed of as a child. And maybe they'll make it to the World Series and that will be the connection to uh, my childhood and wanting that to happen where I'll get it. And then I can have closure on a part of my life that in actuality doesn't really serve me anymore. Like being obsessive sports guy, I have other interests. I have other things that I want to do with my life than being obsessive kid who, as I've talked about before, super socially isolated, naive. Being the sports guy was where I drew my identity from as a kid. And I hate that version of myself now because of how much I've seen growth and development. Being an analyst, um, you know, talking about the pod, I mean, the Chargers leaving San Diego and that making me realize that sports don't matter the way that I thought they did because your team can just upend and leave and you can just stop being a fan. You know, a team that's passed down from your parents and your grandparents and generations of San Diegans rooting for the Chargers, you can just stop anytime. It's not like you have to do that. And it's weird to say that, but that's just the perspective that I had as a child. And so this playoff run for me represents a level of closure and being the underdog and the rah-rah. You know, I love losers because San Diego was a loser. Again, they never made the playoffs my entire memorable life. From the time they entered the uh, Major League Baseball until now, the Padres have the worst record of any team for 50 years. If you take the combined records for 50 years, Padres are the worst team in baseball. Worst record of any team. And it's super cool to have this moment that represents like, hey, this is what my identity used to be. This is my connection to a city that I haven't lived in for four years and don't plan to live in anytime soon. My family, my friends from... Uh, a past life, shall we say, from a past stage of my life, perhaps, my family, my friends, and this baseball team is the thing that connects me to San Diego. And having that moment again today when the Padres beat the Phillies with a four-run comeback, where if they lose, they go down 2-0, headed back to Philadelphia, and again, probability says they will probably not come back in the series if they lose the first two games to Nola and Wheeler it was just amazing to have that moment happen and to still be in it and to have a weekend where I can look at it and say, is there a reason to go back to San Diego? Maybe I won't be able to go to the game, but is there a reason to be there to celebrate making a World Series for the first time in my entire lifetime? Is there a reason to do that? Is there a reason to keep investing time, energy, resources, and podcasts to talking about this team? And the answer continues to be yes for me. And uh, that's part of being an emotional sports fan that I'm sure a lot of people understand. And I, uh, I guess I'm grappling with that and my identity and how much of it is tied into this baseball team. So shout out to San Diego, shout out to the 1-1 series that is now going to be headed back to Philadelphia and shout out to the resistance that has taken down the Holy Dodger empire and continued to spread their Uh, I guess, to take down the evil empire across the galaxy. Speaking of evil empires, we're going to talk about, well, not the New York Yankees because the Yankees are little brothers now. But speaking of former evil empires, let's talk about the New York Yankees. Episode 4. The Holy Dodger Empire continues their reign over the West. In previous years, the Holy Dodger Empire dismantled the once great Royal Cardinals, 
establishing a new power within the galaxy. The Holy Dodger Empire defeated the Royal Cardinals, invaded the Mill of Waki, and vanquished the 107-win Giants. In the meantime, the Holy Dodger Empire pillaged both the Purple Rockies and the Backs of Diamond in Arizona. These invasions increased the Empire's wealth tenfold. Their resources are unmatched, their power is unquestioned. With the West and the Central firmly in control, the Holy Dodger Empire sets their sights on a new conquest, the Eastern Empire State. If the Holy Dodger Empire defeats Master Cohen and his Met army of queens, there will be nothing left to stop them from conquering the galaxy. To the south, a small resistance forms in San Diego. While outnumbered and outresourced, the resistance fights for their very existence against the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. It's a changing time in the galaxy. The once great Imperial Nationals of Washington have fallen. Years earlier, the Imperial Nationals once defeated the Holy Dodger Empire at the Battle of Strasbourg. Now, they find themselves bankrupt and selling pieces to the highest bidder. In this collapse, the Holy Dodger Empire captured a great captain known as Mad Max, who helped strengthen the Holy Dodger Empire's hold on the galaxy. However, Mad Max has escaped and defected to Master Cohen and the Met Army of Queens. He will spend whatever years he has left fighting to dismantle the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. And now, the legendary Imperial Captain Juan Soto has joined the Resistance after paying his debt to Kara the Hutt. To San Diego, Captain Juan Soto brings with him the Imperial Nationals' mighty Josh Bell. Joining Captain Soto is Lord Hader, the supreme closer of the Mill of Waki, called to fight by the message of the Resistance and the possibility of bringing balance to the Force. The Resistance has paid a heavy price, yet they have never been closer to defeating the Holy Dodger Empire. All right, everybody, I am super duper excited to tell you about andcaller.com. You know how I always say, support our dreams on the show? And Caller is literally supporting our dreams. They are covering expenses for Blake, Jude, and I to meet up in Salt Lake City and watch Arizona play Utah. This road trip was a joke that Blake, Jude, and I came up with back in August. And thanks to And Caller, it's actually going to happen. If you go to andcaller.com, and there's a link in the description to this episode, you can shop all of your wardrobe needs. They've got shirts, polos, blazers, pants, socks, and more. My new wardrobe is coming in this week. Super excited about that. For our listeners, And Caller is offering two promotions for you. Two promotions. Number one, all orders over $100. And Caller is going to cover the shipping. $10 to $15 free. They'll cover the cost. And two, any orders of $40 or more will get a free tie when you use our promo code EASY. That's E-A-S-Y with the link in this episode at andcaller.com. That's andcaller.com. Support our dreams by supporting the people who are helping making those dreams possible. 
We've talked about this for two years on the show, and maybe it's time to bring this back um, when, when talking about the Yankees. So the New York Yankees made the World Series in 2009. And for those of you who know old school baseball history, the Yankees are the biggest brand in the sport. Uh, they won a bunch of championships before I was born, whatever. Um, and then in the 1990s, they had a revitalization, and Derek Jeter was the last super famous baseball star where he's still getting net capital one commercials um like literally for this playoff run on baseball Derek Jeter is the guy getting national advertising campaigns even though he hasn't played baseball in seven years the last great superstar in baseball who is nationally famous was built on Yankees lore and Yan- and the 2009 championship and the 1990s Yankees that were the best dynasty in baseball until the Houston Astros. And since then, the New York Yankees have followed up with 2012, lost to the Tigers. 2013, lost to the Tigers. 2015, lost to the Astros. 2016, missed the playoffs. 2017, lost to the Astros. 2018, lost to Boston. 2019, lost to the Astros. 2020, lost to Tampa. 2021, lost to Boston Red Sox. This year looked like they were going to lose to the Guardians, ended up making it to the ALCS, where I feel pretty confident that they will lose to the Houston Astros. And I know I said, baseball's totally random. Playoffs are random. Sport is random. The Astros seem to defy that, and the Yankees seem to defy that every single postseason, because this is 11 seasons, 11 seasons that the New York Yankees have made the playoffs and lose two teams in the American League who, even as a rotating panel, they always beat the New York Yankees. Like, the Tigers have been terrible for six years, and yet they hold two titles over the Yankees, titles in which they went on to make the World Series. The One year after that, and then in 2013, they lost to Boston in the ALCS. 2015, the Astros beat the Yankees. 2017, they beat them in the ALCS and went on to win the championship. 2018, Boston went on to win the championship. 2019, Houston went to the World Series and made it to a Game 7. 2020, even though it was in the second round, Tampa beat the Yankees and went on to make the World Series. 2021, Boston, I think they only made it to the ALCS because they lost to Houston. And then this year, if they lose to Houston, it will be again Houston making it to the World Series. Like, it's incredible that the Yankees have been this little brother for so long because I looked this up. Eight different teams have won the World Series in the time since then. Six different American League champions. There's only 15 teams in the American League. Six different teams have won the American League title since 2012, since the last time the Yankees made it. And the Yankees have been behind Houston the second most consistent team in baseball in always being good. Six different teams have won the American League since the last time the Yankees uh, were relevant in terms of making it to a championship. And 15 different franchises have made the World Series. 15 different franchises. Think about it this way. The Texas Rangers, the Detroit Tigers, the Kansas City Royals, the Houston Astros, the Cleveland Guardians... The Boston Red Sox twice, I guess technically three times, but twice, Tampa Bay have all made it to the World Series in the time frame since the last time that the Yankees made it to the World Series. And very few of those teams other than the Astros and Boston can you point to and say they've had the consistent level of success that the Yankees have had. And even Boston has gone through the highs and lows of missing the playoffs for years at a time. 
The Yankees are always in the playoffs and they always end up losing. So that's the Yankees rant. The Houston part that I wanted to talk about is I said back in April, oh, it's just going to be Astros Yankees again, right? In the American League. And despite the randomness of baseball, and despite the fact that like the Dodgers won 111 games, the Braves are the defending world champions who last year were the weird three seed that ended up making it to the World Series and beating Houston, even though the Braves were the Cinderella team last year, and this year the Dodgers won 111 games, and the Mets won 101 games, and everyone thought it was going to be Mets-Dodgers the way that I thought it was going to be Astros-Yankees from April onwards— even though it's now San Diego and Philadelphia, two teams who in the previous playoff format wouldn't have even made it to the the divisional round of the playoffs. Even in that situation, it still feels like it's inevitable. It will be Astros-Yankees, and the Astros are going to beat them. And I don't understand how those teams defy the randomness of baseball. Because the Houston Astros, for all the, the thing we talk about, like baseball is a totally random sport. There's been eight different teams that have won the World Series in the last eight years. 2014 Giants, 2015 Royals, 2016 Cubs, 2017 Astros, 2018, uh, 20, yeah, 2018 Boston, 2019 Washington, 2020 Los Angeles, 2021 Atlanta. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different champions in eight different years in baseball. Totally random. Houston is not random. Houston is always the best team in the American League. And the Dodgers are always the best team in the National League. And they are the two biggest, best comps you can point to and say, the Dodgers and the Astros, what those two teams do is 1990s New York Yankees. It is what the Oakland A's of the 2000s with Moneyball would have been if they had had money. It is the best run organizations, not just in baseball, which is a sport that is by design meant to be the haves and the have nots because of regional television contracts and revenue sharing rules. Even among the teams that have a lot of money, Houston and Los Angeles are doing things so differently that they, and they have the wide margin of errors that they remain at the top every single year. And the Yankees who are in that same camp They can't even sniff what Houston and Los Angeles have done over the last decade because the Astros, I I say this all the time, think about how insane that is that the New York Yankees, their birthright to success, team that through the 70s, the 90s, the 50s, the 40s, the 30s, 1920s, like 27 championships, the team with a birthright to success over the last 20 years, my lifetime, has watched the Boston Red Sox become the evil empire and then become the team that loses to Boston every year. And they've watched the Houston Astros, a team that was in the National League 11 years ago. They've watched the Houston Astros take everything that their birthright to championships was and make them the equivalent of like Michigan to Ohio State or make them the equivalent of Michigan State to Michigan. Or make them the equivalent of, I mean, this is a bad example, but the Chicago Bears to the Green Bay Packers. Like, Houston dominates the Yankees. They own the New York Yankees. They have owned them since 2015. The Yankees have never beaten the Astros in the playoffs. The Astros have beaten them three times in the playoffs. And by the way, had the Yankees not threw up on themselves against Tampa in 2020, Houston would have beat them a fourth time. And this year's going to be the fifth time, theoretically, that the Yankees lose in a row to Houston. Houston 
owns the New York Yankees. And they took that birthright to success from them. And I'm not going to do the full-scale conversation about this yet because, again, the series is not over. Yankees might totally win this series. Baseball's random. Houston fascinates me. And I'm because I'm not going to do the full-scale conversation around this, I'm just laying the foundation of what Astros-Yankees is. And when the series is over, we will either validate this or disprove it. And we'll come back and talk about how the Yankees finally broke through the cyclical nature of them being little brothers and will finally get to make a championship. Maybe that's where we'll come back and talk about after the series. But what I want to talk about in the short term is something that I find super fascinating about Houston. Because again, Houston has made the league championship series, which means they've been one of the four best teams in the sport, which I say when talking about football, if you make it to a conference championship, you are an elite team. The greatest testament to the, the, the testament to the greatness of the Patriots First and foremost is the fact that they won 66% of their championships and the fact that they made 15 conference championships in 20 years. The testament to the greatness of Aaron Rodgers is that he made the equivalent of seven conference championships in 15 years. That's a testament to the greatness of Aaron Rodgers. But because once you get to the end, it's a little bit random in football because all of the teams that make conference championships are great. The fact that they got there half of the time with Aaron Rodgers, and I'm counting the 15-1 and season where they lost to the Giants because they were the best team in football that year. The best Aaron Rodgers team didn't even make a conference championship. The fact that you can point to 7 out of 15 years and saying that is an elite team is a testament to the greatness of Aaron Rodgers. Flip it over to baseball. The fact that you can point to Houston in the randomness of that sport and say that for six consecutive years they have been one of the two to three best teams in the sport is absolutely unprecedented in my lifetime they are i've talked about this before the the houston astros are the 1990s new york yankees and the dodgers are right there with them because the dodgers have made 10 consecutive playoff appearances with infinite resources and the best general manager in baseball houston's done it by having jeff lou now who is an absolute asshole and then having him and eight, having the, the Major League Baseball gut the foundation of their team with the cheating scandal and punishing management because they couldn't punish the players because in order to find out information, they had to grant players immunity. And then they found out, oh shit, it was all the players' fault. We have to do something. So crime and punishment. Lunau's going to get fired. AJ Hinch is going to get fired. Alex Cora is going to get fired. Carlos Beltran's going to get fired. That's crime and punishment baseball. And what ended up happening from that is they gutted Houston's organization at the top. And three years later, they just hired James Crick from Tampa and just kept the machine rolling. Garrett Cole leaves, just replace him with Jose Urquidy. Justin Verlander has to have Tommy John, comes back, he's a Cy Young candidate. We're going to lose Zach Granke, slide in Lance McCullers. Just keep the machine rolling. And it's amazing that they do this every single time because the standard in baseball is to not be able to do that. Even the Los Angeles Dodgers, which is the closest comparison you can point to with Houston, they weren't able to just keep replicating pieces. The Dodgers had to go trade for Mookie Betts. They had to go trade for Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. They had to go sign Freddie Freeman and rebuild a team that was able to win 111 games with three players who were not developed within their system. 
Houston turns around and it's McCullers who was drafted by the team. It's Urtikiti who was uh, traded for in the minor leagues. It's Jordan Alvarez who looks like a Hall of Famer who they gave up. Uh, They basically got him as a throw-in piece similar to the Tatis trade where it was like James Shields for Tatis. I forgot the player who they traded to the Dodgers, but it was basically like a reliever in exchange for Alvarez as a a single-A player and developed him into a future possible Hall of Famer. Um, when they lose George Springer, who was their World Series MVP in the first big draft pick of the Lunau era 11 years ago, when he leaves in free agency, and when Michael Brantley, who they signed, ends up suffering a season-ending injury, it's Chaz McCormick, and it's Kyle Tucker, and the machine keeps rolling. And they just did it again, and this is kind of the story coming out of Game 1 that I'm thinking about, because Jeremy Pena hit the winning home run in game three. He's a rookie shortstop who hit the only run in an 18 inning baseball game against Seattle to win game three and then hit a home run to help seal the victory in game one, four to two against New York in a game where Houston only struck out twice and the Yankees struck out 17 times. And that 15 strikeout differential is the greatest in postseason history. Yuli Guri, I'm sorry, I, yeah, Yuli Guriel hit a home run and Jeremy Pena hit a home run, but I'm fascinated by Pena because Carlos Correa was the guy who they tanked for. When the Houston Astros tore the thing to the ground and lost 110 games, they lost more games in a three-year stretch than any baseball team had in the last 40 years. When they tore that thing all the way to the ground... The prize at the end was Carlos Correa and Alex Bregman because the other number one pick that they had when they had the first pick in the draft three years in a row, or I guess they had first pick, second pick, first pick. When they took Mark Apple with the first pick, he never played for Houston, never even signed with Houston. So the, the gems coming out of that were Alex Bregman, number two pick, and Carlos Correa, number one pick. Those were the prizes of the tanking. And... They just had Carlos Correa walk out the door, slid in Jeremy Pena, and the machine just kept rolling. This entire frame of the Houston Astros team is entirely different than the World Series team of 2017. You can still find Alex Bregman. You can still find Jose Altuve. Justin Verlander was traded for a month before that World Series team. And that's a great foundation to have. Those are are two Hall of Famers and Alex Bregman, who's a perennial all-star. That's a great foundation to have. But the foundation of the 2017 team was beyond those guys. It was Altuve, yes. It was uh, obviously trading for uh, Justin Verlander at the trade deadline. The core of that team was Springer, Correa, Dallas Keuchel as a pitcher, and Bregman and Altuve. And last year, they just replaced Springer, made it back to the World Series, kept the machine rolling. In the World Series last year, we did a podcast about how Carlos Correa and Alex Bregman were combined like hitting 132 in the series. We'll just slide out Correa, slide in Jeremy Pena, and oh look, Jeremy Pena's hitting home runs to send us to the ALCS, and in game one, he's hitting a home run that ends up being the difference in the game between winning and losing to New York. Like, it's incredible that that machine keeps rolling, and Jeremy Pena is just another case where I look up and I'm like, I can't believe they're able to create a machine that defies the logic of baseball. I can't believe that they're able to pull that off. And yet they just continue to replicate it 
over and over again. And even if they don't make it to the World Series, even if the Yankees win four games in a row and they succumb to the, you know, what happens to Houston even, like losing to Washington in the World Series, they were gigantic favorites going into that World Series. They were gigantic favorites going up against Atlanta. Houston has dominated American League Baseball. And as the cycles of the Boston Red Sox were like, Boston kicked their ass in 2018. That 2018 Boston team might be the best team I've seen play baseball in a while. And I think they might be, maybe the 2019 Houston team was as good as 2018 Boston. But like 2018 Boston was just an absolute wagon. And Boston fell apart right after that. Uh, Cleveland came for the crown. Cleveland fell off around 2019. They've built it back up slowly but steadily. But Cleveland came for Houston, and they ended up losing to the Astros. They fell as the Astros climbed to becoming World Series champions. And then it was Tampa who took their crack. And by the way, Tampa and Houston went seven games in 2020. Tampa beat them in a winner-go-home game seven. And now Tampa's no longer a threat. And the Yankees have always been there and have never once gotten over the Astros, which is, do you know how hard that is in baseball? Do you know how hard it is to lose basically five consecutive playoff rounds and still be able to keep coming back and still losing to the same team over and over again? And then for that relationship to be the Astros are big brothers and Yankees are little brothers, it's absolutely dumbfounding if you were talking about this 10 years ago. And... Houston continuing to be there and just continuing to be a machine that now the core of the team is Jordan Alvarez and Jeremy Pena and Lance McCullers and Jose Urdikidi and guys who were either fringe pieces on the 2017 World Series team or guys who weren't even in the league at that point. For that to be the core of the team and they can just lose Carlos Correa, lose George Springer, the foundational pieces of that teardown and building it back up and just keep the wagon rolling is really, really remarkable. And I'm so fascinated by the Houston Astros as I've been for years going back to the cheating scandal. And we'll talk more about that next week once we know the results of the weekend between Houston and New York. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We've got episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sundays. Leave a five-star review, leave a follow, download as many episodes as you can, and Support our sponsors who are helping to make our dreams come true. Take it easy, everybody.